Why don't you grab out your Bibles? I'm going to go to Matthew chapter 5. I have uh, decided to leave my Christmas sermon to Christmas, where some might say it belongs, others might not, along with Christmas carols. But we're going to continue in a portion of Scripture that is very near and dear to my heart. It's one of those passages that I continue to return to. Not because it's all recreational and comfort reading, but because there's something foundational and important for us in these verses of Scripture. So as you turn to Matthew 5, let me pray for us, and then we'll join together around the Word. Father, we thank you for your Word. We thank you that it is a light and a lamp that guides our way. We thank you that it is bread that feeds and sustains your people. We thank you that it is able to accomplish all that you send it forth to accomplish for the glory of your name. And that's our desire as we gather this morning, Lord, is to see your glory, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord cover the earth as the waters cover the sea, to see your name made great. So Lord, whatever you desire to do this morning, I pray that you come and speak to us, you'd open our eyes, the eyes of our heart, to see you more clearly, that we might love you with a greater passion than ever before. Help me to proclaim your word, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 5, it's the longest sermon that we have recorded, the very words of Jesus himself. And he's preaching and proclaiming this kingdom, this kingdom that he demonstrated with power We took a couple of weeks ago just one of these pillars as he builds this scaffold around who it was and the mission that he came to accomplish. And I phrased it this way. Let me just uh, phrase it this way again. So we've been focusing all year on the gospel, remembering, reclaiming its power. The gospel is powerful. It's able to save, remembering its priority, its front and center. And in these few moments, kind of moving from that place into some specifics and asking the question, well, what does that actually look like? What what does that look like as we face circumstances and situations? And the one pillar, we we looked at this proclamation that Jesus makes in Matthew 5, chapter, uh, chapter 5, verse 9, saying, Blessed are the peacemakers. This reality of a a gospel of peace. So we talked about a gospel of power, a gospel of truth. But there's this proclamation that comes with the gospel of peace. So the angels say in Luke chapter 2 verse 14, Glory to God in the highest. Glory to Him. And on earth, peace. This proclamation of a, a kingdom of peace, of a prince of peace. As it says in Colossians 1.20, that God reconciled the world to himself, making peace by the blood of the cross. This sovereign work of God's grace, stepping into chaos, human rebellion, darkness, depravity of sin, with this purpose and proclamation and power of peace, making things right. And if he is a peacemaking God, if his is a kingdom of peace, then we too are called to be people of peace, peacemakers. So that was the focus last time. In some ways, I want to continue that theme, but look at something quite specific. If you're in Matthew 5, let's read our text for this morning. We'll begin at verse 
43, Matthew 5, 43. Jesus speaking, he says this. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is God's word. We can say amen at that moment. Maybe a slightly muted down amen. For these three words, love your enemies, it's perhaps one of the most simplest notions to grasp, but the hardest to put in to practice. Love your enemies. Now, notice this up front. Jesus is making this crystal clear. He's saying, love your enemies. But what he's not doing is sugarcoating the evil and the persecution and the environment within which this command is to play out. He still calls evil, evil. He still says there is persecution. There is a lack of justice. That there is things that are happening. He's not sugarcoating over the sin. But he's saying in the midst of that place, in the midst of a world where you will find yourself with many that you may call enemies, here is the response. And it's not the response that you've been taught. He said, you've been taught, talking about the religious leaders. Well, love the people that are lovable. Love your friends, but hate your enemies. He's saying, and that's what you see in the world around you. That's just what the Gentiles do. It's the most natural human response to love people that we like, but to hate those that we feel are different, are different than us. And he's saying, not so you. Here is my commandment. Not what you've been taught, not what you see in the world around you. He says, love your enemies. You are called to live differently. See, we we live in our current society in this interesting space and time. I'm sure every generation would say the same thing. But have you noticed how tolerance, even though we preach it, we talk about it a lot in society... Love for neighbor, fellow man, but it's in very scarce supply. Very short supply. It's a casualty, it seems, of modern secularism, true tolerance and love for one another. I was thinking of this, I think it was the week before last, and some of you may have noticed we've done a, um, a, an effort to proclaim the gospel on our very public-facing church wall. For God so loved the world. Very... Famous, hopefully uh, well-known, and confronting, but not too confronting. I mean, we, we did discuss and talk about, you know, turn or burn, you know, with <laughs> hellfire and demons or many other messages. But as we were a couple of weeks ago uh, beginning that process, and I had a guy in to, to help me accomplish that task, I thought I'd pop over to the neighbor just to uh, let him know, a neighbor that we share the wall with, although the wall and, in fact, the land in front of the wall is ours, we own it. But I thought I'll do the right thing, I'll knock on his door, and I'll let him know 
that we're just going to put a bit of a mural up on the wall and see what he says. Well, he, he was quite disgruntled, and he came and said, well, let me, let me see what it is you're doing, and I forget exactly where we were at in the process. We had begun, might have been for God so loved, or wasn't quite finished. But um, I, I don't want to exaggerate for the sake of poetic license. Let's just say it was a very unpleasant conversation. He saw this mural, he saw the message, and he absolutely went to town. I cannot believe how selfish you're being. How could you put this kind of rubbish here? He he went on. It was personally directed at me. He said, I hate you. I hate this. I I just despise what's... I cannot believe this has happened. And he stormed off with a tirade of expletives. I don't think I'm exaggerating that for any kind of um, illustrative purposes. In fact, the guy who was with me, who was on the ladder at the time, doing some of the, uh, the spray painting on the wall, He's like, what was that? I said, I have no idea. I just went to let him know we were putting something on our wall. He's, he's like, honestly, I thought I was going to have to come down and pull him off you because he looked like he was seething with rage. He was. He genuinely was. As, uh, as he let me know what he thought about the wall and about me and a number of other things. And uh, he said, I literally thought it was going to come to blows. I thought I was going to have to come and intervene. But he stormed off. And so this was in the morning. One day, and I sat with the Lord, I thought of lots of things I could say, lots of ways that I could approach this situation, and I thought, no, I'll take a different tact, and I don't want to just let it go. It was a very unpleasant conversation. Um, So I went back to his office. I'm like, I'm not going to write something. Um, I will see him face to face. I knocked on his door. He opened up the door, his office door. He's just around the corner here at the survey, the tire place. And I said, look, can we start again? Well, first of all, he said, what, what do you bleeping want? I said, look, can we start again? It was an unpleasant conversation. I said, look, honestly, I just want to apologize. If there was anything that I have said or done that in any way has caused you offense, then I do. I genuinely want to say that I'm sorry. Well, that defused the situation a little, just a little, not a lot. But then he moved from anything you know, directly targeted at me, and he said, well... He said, I've got to say, I hate being next to a church. I hate it. I hate what you stand for. I hate what you do. You're a bunch of people that are this, that. And like clearly it just, I listened for about five minutes to another tirade. And I said to him, I said, look, quite honestly, do you want to talk about it? He's like, nope, I've said my piece. That's it. Done. You can leave now. That's how I did. I, I left. And that was the end of the conversation. If, if nothing else, the one thing I took away from that, it was some cold comfort, I guess, but I came away with a sense that it wasn't anything that I had done. It was purely that in that instance, I was the enemy. I represented something that he hated. And in the current society that we're in, we want to find our enemies for one purpose, so that we can take them out, lock load, barrel, don't worry about aiming, just bang with a shotgun and away we go. I just happen to be the enemy. You see, our default seems to have become in society finding someone to hate. We want to identify them so that we can segregate us versus them and tear them down with this broad brush, shotgun, don't worry about casualties approach. One of the things, and I, I know I've mentioned it in passing, and I don't want to delve there too much today, but 
it seems every single time there is a current issue at the moment, you know, the, the big one that's just grieving my heart and I'm praying and seeking the Lord is the war in the Middle East. Just seeing the pictures, seeing the... I mean, it, it breaks your heart. Seeing the innocent get caught up in this tragedy. And there's all sorts of political complexities and I'm not wanting to jump and to delve in maybe another Sunday. We'll get Adam to do that for us. But the thing that has like grieved my heart as much as seeing that is from the very get-go, from the moment that anything happened, particularly this issue, but it's the same with any other issue, all of a sudden there's two camps and there's people parading the streets, not calling for justice, calling for blood. Let's wipe, we hate this group, we hate that group, calling for death, death to this group, death to that group. Yes, there's feeling. Yes, there's nuance. Yes, there's complexities. I understand that. But how did we end up in this place where that is our response to every single issue? Us versus them. There's the enemy. Let's take them out. Now, perhaps we could kind of leave it there and move on if it was just something that was outside the church. It was just something that was, as Jesus said, that's, that's the way that the Gentiles, it's just the, way, it's the, the natural human response is to love people we like, but to hate people that we don't, that think differently, that look differently, that behave differently. And given that we've brought up this war in the Middle East, if we can ups, upset maybe just one little apple cart, bear with me, as I said, Adam is available this week. He can fix up and clean up all the messes here. But there can be this attitude in the church as well. Let's just take a moment to examine our own hearts. And I heard this sermon, and I don't want to tell you who it's by, because this is a man who quite genuinely I think very highly of. I think he's got a wonderful ministry. I think God has used him in some incredible ways. And I believe will continue to. And we all have blind spots, yeah? We all have stuff. I'm the first to say do not look at me if you're looking for a picture of perfection. I could point to some other ways, but do not look here. And he, he had this sermon. He was talking about you know, the, the war in Israel, Palestine, some of the complexities here. This is a very well-known, prominent American pastor. And he said this. So, so don't think about that. Just think about the words. Think about this kind of message that comes through. And it's not just here. I want to I point towards all of us. Can we... You bear with me here? All right. This is what he said. He says, let me say it to you in plain Texas speech. It probably gives a little away. Probably a little too much. He says this. This is his response. He says, America, believer, Christian man, pastor, very prominent. America should roll up its sleeves and knock the living daylights out of Tehran. Tehran. And forget, forget Israel and Palestine. Let's just take out Iran. It says, let's hit them so hard that our enemies will once again fear us. And it's southern Texas draw. Now, let's be honest. There's, there's a little bit in that that kind of feels like, yes, let's hit them and hit them good. But then I think, well, hang on a sec. Let's just, let's just think. I, I heard that. I thought, well, let me just try and find that scripture. Where, where is that one that Jesus says, find your enemies, identify them. Seek them, and when you do, not the living daylights. 
Knock them good, knock them hard, knock them before they've done anything to you. Forget to turn the other cheek, get in first and blow off the head. Yep. I don't know that it's in there. If you can find that passage, send Adam an email, he'll correct me, he'll be able to sort it straight. My question is this, not just from the world, but in the church, are we missing something? Shouldn't it be a little different in here? Remember, Jesus is not glossing over. He's not, he's not trying to say this group is... He's saying there's evil, there's stuff, there's un, in, injustice, there's things that are unjust, there's wickedness. And here's your response, not to find your enemies to take them out, find your enemies and do what with them? Love them. Love them. There is another way. Don't just set them up to take them out. If they're hungry... Peter, they're in need of clothing, clothe them, show them love. Now, as I said, I just use that as one example. I don't want to make anything out of that particular sermon. I've said plenty of sermons that if people came back and quoted the lines, I would be horribly horrified. Because the point is, for all of us, I'm sure at times, there's something not just out there, but in here, in the church, and in here. Isn't there? We all have this predisposition, maybe not with the same plain text of speech, but we have this mentality and we've got to be so careful because it's got to be different here. The moment something happens, great, it's us versus them. Who is the enemy? Where's my keyboard? What can I say to make sure that someone or something is sufficiently taken out and taken down? Is there another way? I want to suggest there is. It's these three words. Love your enemy. See, we forget how countercultural this is. In a culture then where the Romans built their empire on oppression, not just hating enemies, destroying them, wiping them out. Not just enemies, friends, anyone who would stand in the way. Religious leaders who had so twisted and interpret, interpreted the text, as Jesus says, you've been taught. Love people who are lovable. Hate the rest. Hate You should hate them. And Jesus is saying, love your enemies. There's a, a guy who's doing the rounds on social media in the midst of the conflict. I know we're kind of on this bandwagon, so let's just keep going. He's called the, the son of Hamas. You may have seen his video. He's spoken out quite prominently. What doesn't appear often on his videos is his personal testimony. So this guy, Masab Hassan Yusuf, forgive the pronunciation, he grew up, his father was one of the founders of Hamas, he grew up as a, a Muslim. This terrorist organization that's featuring so prominently, let's call them out for the evils that they've done and perpetrated. Let's get that out very early. For, from an early age, he studied the Quran, he memorized its teaching, said the daily prayers, like he was as committed as you get. He, he is the sort of person that you would think would not be a likely candidate for conversion. And as the Lord would have it, one day someone gave him a Bible and he said, well, I'm going to read this Bible just to prove it wrong. He started in Matthew, he says himself, and then he got as far as this passage in Matthew chapter 5. He read these three words, love your enemies. In his own words, he said, I was thunderstruck. These three words so captured my heart. I simply couldn't get away from them. Love your enemies? 
Don't hate them. Love your enemies. Don't despise them. Love your enemies. Don't kill them. He went on to say, all the other religions say, love your friends, love your neighbor. But only Jesus says, love your enemies. Now, that began a journey for him, discovering, well, who is this Jesus? Who is someone who could make that proclamation? Eventually, it ended up with him becoming a believer, professing faith in Christ. He now eventually got asylum. He lives in the U.S. The Lord has used him in incredible ways. Radical enough, just this instruction of Jesus to take someone, a hardline Islamic terrorist, and bring him into the kingdom of God. But here's the thing, here's the point. For Jesus, it's not just radical words. It's not just a nice new teaching. It wasn't just the words he spoke, it was the life he lived. Here comes God in human flesh. He steps in. In the midst of oppression and injustice, where there's division and political instability, where there's religious hypocrisy, in stepped this God-man who did what? He loved. He bent down to lift up the outcast. He healed the broken. He embraced the leper. The very night that he was to be betrayed by someone that he'd given his life to, his inner circle, he washes his betrayer's feet. He shares a meal with them. And as he hung there on the cross, beaten, whipped, mocked, spat upon, brutally crucified on this instrument of torture, what does he do? He looks down with compassion and love. He says, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. This is the mission. This is why I came to offer and give forgiveness. Not just to preach it, but to live it. To love those whom were his enemies, which is you, which is me. We are his enemies. He came to love, forgive, heal, and save. Romans 5.10 For though we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Through the sacrifice of Jesus, he has loved us. And so as we read this passage in in Matthew chapter 5, as Jesus says, love your enemies, he goes on, he says, in order that you may be sons of your father, sons and daughters of the kingdom. So he's not saying that it somehow earns us the right to be a son. A better translation, some other, other translations say, so that you can manifest or bring forth. He's saying this is the kingdom in action. It's it's a God and a Savior who didn't just talk the talk. He came and he loved his enemies, even as they beat him and spat upon him and nailed him to a tree. And he says to you and me, come and follow me. There is a different way to live. You see, what, what if we paraded the streets, if we flooded social media? Not with calls for someone else's destruction. Not finding our neighbor who disagrees and holding them up so that we can give them both barrels. What if we actually lived a different way? What if Hamas, like there's one example, all of a sudden said, you know what? We're going to choose to forgive. And I know what you're probably thinking. We're going to have pastors turning into a hippie. 
He's growing his hair long. Next he'll be singing around the campfire, singing John Lennon, you know. Peace and war, and maybe there's some truth there. But it's not the words and the dream and the imagining of John Lennon. It's the command and the invitation of the King of Glory, who came to proclaim and establish a kingdom and said, come and follow me. Now, we could talk, and I know I'm kind of scratching the surface. We could talk about just war theory. We could debate pacifism. We could look at you know, scriptural, theological reasons for and against. I'm not trying to delve into those intricacies. There's nuance. There's feeling. I'm just trying to point us in the reality of the world that we find ourselves in here, broader afield, to that invitation. Love your enemy. I want to finish with this story. I don't know if Jeanette could come forward and keep me on track. Let's move away from war. Let's talk closer to home. This is the story of the Abdullah family, a family that lives in Sydney, a family that experienced unimaginable tragedy. On the 1st of February 2020, there's four children, three of their own, and a cousin who were tragically killed by a drunk and drugged driver when his out-of-control ute mounted the footpath. Now, I remember seeing that. You probably did. Beginning 2020, that story hit the headlines. There was a lot of an outpouring of grief. But I'd never actually delved into their story until they came last month and they spoke at the National Prayer Breakfast, which I wasn't personally at, but I had a number of people there saying, you've got to check out their story. You've got to, you've got to hear what happened, their choice, and what God did in the midst of that. So here was a family facing an imaginable tragedy. Three of their young children instantly killed by a young, drunk, drugged, out-of-control driver. Life instantly taken from them. How would we respond? Well, this, this family, they were believers in Christ. And so amidst the, the grief, the pain, and the hurt... And they don't gloss over that. They said it was unimaginably difficult. We were consumed. We were broken. But in the midst of what they faced, they said, we chose to forgive. In their own words, they say, we still feel pain and sorrow every day. It doesn't automatically mean that it's all suddenly okay. But in the midst of that, they say, we choose continue to choose to forgive the offender. In fact, as this story progressed, they went one day to visit this young man in prison. He's serving 20 years for his crime. And they went with the express purpose of extending their forgiveness. Mr. Abdallah, he shares the account. They were, they were broken. They saw him there. And all he did initially was reach forward a hand of friendship. He said, we forgive. And this young man, the offender who killed their children, I said he just broke down weeping. Broke down weeping. Was absolutely broken. In fact, that began a journey. And this young man serving 20 years in prison eventually himself became a Christian. When asked about his own journey, he said this, I quote, he said, because I want, Mr. Abdullah asked him, I wanted what you have, what I saw in you. Your act of forgiveness saved my life in prison. He went on to talk about how he reads the Bible every day. He evangelizes, talks to the other prisoners. In his own words, he says, I feel like a monk in the mountain, in my prison cell, 
but for the first time in my life, I'm totally free. Wow. This family's gone on to set up a foundation. I forgive foundation. There's an annual event that takes place on the 1st of Feb. Both the former and current Prime Minister have backed it, supported it, put their weight behind it. First question is how? 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 Could you ever do that, make that kind of a decision in that unimaginable pain and grief and sorrow? Well, again, Mr. Abdullah, he said this, this depth of forgiveness is only through the grace of God. It only is. In fact, if you look at their website, I forgive, they have one scripture up there, Ephesians 4, verse 32. It says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. You have been forgiven. Now you too can go and offer this forgiveness. See, here's the point. One family, every right to be angry, every right to point the finger, every right to hold on to bitterness and resentment against God and the world and, and people and every right. He is our enemy. He is the killer of our children. Could there be a more horrendous, heart-wrenching crime? And yet what is their response? We have been forgiven. We have been loved when we never deserved any of it. So what other response is there for us? What an opportunity for us to give a gift that could never, that will never be deserved. But we can choose to forgive and to love him who is our enemy. I tell you what, what would the world look like? What would the world look like? One decision to forgive. Lives are changed prisons transformed, a nation impacted? What if we truly took Jesus' words to be not just a nice little scripture, but a reality that we could live by? i tell you what, there would be a revolution, wouldn't there? There wouldn't be one, one Hamas fighter. There'd be mass impact. And no, I'm not trying. It's not back to the campfire. I'm not trying to be blindly idealistic. See, the Bible says, Paul says this to Timothy. He says, the last days, things are going to get tough. They're going to get bad. There'll be division. There'll be hatred. There'll be persecution. Men will love themselves. They'll love pleasure. They'll be proud, despising all that is good. There's going to be stuff. You're going to find yourself in the midst of a lot of different things where there's every moment, every opportunity, everything within our humanity that wants just to find the enemy and take him out. Give him a piece of our minds. Ah, feels a bit better. I got that one off the chest. I want to suggest to us, in that context, what an opportunity we have. We can manifest the kingdom. It's what Jesus says. We can shine the light, whether it's the, the harsh words of a neighbor, whether it's political polarization, whether it's tragically events, then we are profoundly wrong. The Bible and Jesus, not just his words, but his life, he demonstrates there is another way. 
not just another way. There is the way. We can point people to Jesus. To a Savior who offers forgiveness. Who hung on the cross. says, I did this for you. To lavish my love, my grace and my mercy on those least deserving. To rescue and redeem. Now come and follow me and go and do the same. Amen. Would you close your eyes? I just want to spend a few moments. Just allow the Lord to move in our hearts. I'll pray for us in a moment. But before, I want to ask you this question. Love your enemies. That's the focus. That's the challenge. What is it that comes to mind? Love your enemies. Maybe it's words spoken, maybe by someone close. Maybe it's prejudice towards a particular group of people. I tell you what, we in the church are known for that. What a tragedy. There's repentance there. Maybe it's Maybe it's something as as drastic, as earth-shattering, life-altering as losing instantly three of your your children. But there's every reason to hang on to bitterness, hang on to anger, to hang on to judgment. I want to encourage us this morning. This is a challenge, but God is giving us an opportunity. manifest the kingdom to forgive as we have been forgiven to love as we have been loved so if there's things there that you know are before you my question to us yes it's hard I'm trying to gloss over the pain the challenge and the difficulty but is there some way that we can make a step towards ask for the Lord's help Would you help me take a step here towards love? Help us today, for the world needs to see you more than ever, for that light of your kingdom to shine brightly. There's things that you know you need to repent of. We encourage you, you're in the right place. with every eye closed one more thing and then I'll pray I would simply make this observation the words of this family this depth of forgiveness this radical call it's only made possible through the grace of God and I would invite anyone here this morning even one person You've never taken that step to put your faith in Jesus, to believe that He is who He said He is, that He has done what He said He came to accomplish. His death in your place, 
if you've never willingly and openly received his free gift of grace, his mercy made possible through the shedding of his blood. There's an opportunity this morning right where you sit. Lord, I choose to believe in you. Through the power of your blood, would you cleanse me, wash me clean, lavish your love upon me that I too might forgive the way I've been forgiven and loved the way that you've loved me. So Father, I just want to pray for us this morning as we bring this time to a a conclusion. Lord, we've heard your word, we've heard your invitation, we've heard the, the great challenge to follow you to live a different way than maybe we've been taught, certainly by what we see in the world. Not to hate our enemies, but Lord, would you help us. Help us to love. Help us to bless. Help us to pray for. Father, I pray for a a new day season where your church would be marked by a fresh radical love for you and out of that place a radical love for our neighbors that our first response is always to forgive and to love and to see your light shine brightly in the midst of the darkness. Jesus' name.